At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. sing for all you folks that uh, been written in and asking for all them fine tunes. I like to sing one that, that goes back a long time. says an awful lot about all of us. And it's one that I know you'll enjoy. Oh, I've been sitting here and quietly molding away. Gonna sleep in the kitchen with my feet in the hall. Gonna drink muddy water. Gonna... And now, folks, I'd like to you don't mean to hear the sing the rest of that. I got a lot of fantastic lyrics about that one. Of course, it it all it all relates to the to the to the secret thing that's down inside of us. It keeps jumping out once in a while and scurrying around in that vast gymnasium of the interior man, the one where the tennis game alternates with a very bad basketball game that is being played in half light, and uh, the rules keep shifting and changing, and you don't know which side to cheer for. You don't know whether or not to, to holler for the guys that are taking the rebounds or holler for the guys that are trying to hook them in over the guys that are taking the rebounds. Oh, I'm going to drink money water. I'm going to sleep in the kitchen with my feet in the hall. I'm going down to that old river, oh, that old rotten river. Going down to the shore. Going to look out over that water. Yet at a dark and stormy night. 
Gonna dream, gonna think, gonna spit and yell and holler about you, baby. Oh, I'm gonna drink muddy water. Gonna drink muddy water. Gonna drink. All together, gang, let's go. She's got eyes of blue. I never cared for eyes of blue, but she's got eyes of blue. She's got dimple cheeks. I never cared for dimple cheeks, but she's got dimple cheeks. And that's my weakness now. Oh my, oh me, oh my. Oh, I should be good. I would be good, but she, oh she likes to mill and coop. I never liked to mill and coop, but she, she likes to mill and coop. So that's my weakness now. She's got bumpy knees. I never cared for bumpy knees, but she's got knobby knees. And that's my weakness now. She's got yellow teeth. I never cared for yellow teeth, but oh boy, she's got yellow teeth. And that's my weakness now. I'm sorry, you know, there's a lot of lyrics to this song I have not sung to you yet, fellows. And for those of you who are over 21 and who would really like to know how to sing this song in your spare time next to the TV set with your banjo, send your name and address to Whoopi Lyric, W-O-R-A-M and F-M, New York. Available only to art students. Why do you hear this change, boy? She talks a baby talk. I never cared for baby talk, but she talks a baby talk. And that's my weakness now. She likes engagement rings. I never liked engagement rings, but she likes engagement rings. And that's my weakness now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And we're heading for the Parsons store, I guess. She likes a family. I never cared for families, but she she likes a family. All together now. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I'm telling you, yell along with Shepard. <laughs> you know, uh, since, uh, since it is Friday. Of course, you know, uh, for those of you who are nervous, and uh, this is uh, pretty much the nervous age, for those of you that are nervous, uh, we would like to tell you that this is probably the last program you should be listening to on a Friday night. It's a very bad time. And in fact, it is really a very good time to be nervous. Friday night. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of skullduggery that will happen tonight. And of course, the word skullduggery covers a vast multitude of activities. Have you done any skullduggering lately? Huh? <laughs> it's, isn't that a great word? That's a wonderful word. I think, I think our language, uh, in so many ways, is, uh, is, like, is like the mutinous 
that's beginning to attack the uh, the human soul because of the tremendous mechanization of all this stuff. You know, you you just can't you just can't. It's 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 when we lost the Dickensian turn of phrase, the the kind of language, the kind of the kind of words, the 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 the, the scope and the breadth of the language of the people when people would talk, you know, talk to each other. I think we lost a great deal. We, we, I, I would love to say to, to Leader, for example, Bob Leader, I'll have nothing to do with this confounded, horn-swaggling skullduggery, this idiotic, insolent gullamuffre that you call this ridiculous... All together. And nobody, nobody would ever, nobody would ever, uh, would ever think of, uh, in, in a political address, to refer to what the opponent is doing as outright blatant blackardly skullduggery. You know, this is... Uh, <laughs> and uh, No, they don't. They just wouldn't do it. Wouldn't they? This is, uh, and there are other phrases, of course, uh, being the way the world is today, you can hardly use them. I can think of about 25 great phrases. I will lay... I, believe me, I will, I, will, I will give you the brass figliggy with bronze oak leaf palm if there is one of you, I heard this phrase last night, and I wouldn't have believed it, because it is a phrase that my mother used to use continually. She would look out bleakly through that tangled mass of dying geraniums that cursed my old lady to, and still do. She has never been able to successfully grow a geranium in a, in a, in a Campbell's can for more than three weeks. You know, they get that funny look. I don't know what it is about them. What happens to them? They get very neurotic, but... Yeah, she used to she used to stand there and look out through those geraniums in the kitchen window over the sink, and the sink was doing it. You know, the sink is all clogged up with coffee grounds and all kinds of stuff. And, and she oh, and she would take the thing. You know, we had we had a faucet in our house that if it was turned exactly the right way, Flickinger's house two and a half blocks away down the street would jiggle up and down. It had such a fantastic effect on the on the main. This kind of thing, you know, oh boy. And you see Flick's house going up and down, the bricks falling out. Flick would come out, turn it up! And we'd choose, oh, fix the faucet in there. Well, we had, you know, everybody was connected up in the scene. So so my mother would look out of the window, you know, it's a, it's a, it's on a, on a November day like this when the, when the, uh, when the furies are out, the wind is howling in off the lake. You know, it's a good 47 degrees colder in Chicago at any given time in life, any given time, or during the summer, a good 47 degrees hotter than it is here. And, oh, yes, very, they faced the life, and she'd look out there, and you could see the flickering of the blast furnace dust, and you'd see the, 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 the red and yellow flames catching Bruner's, uh, Bruner's backside as he's sliding up and down the back steps trying to make it up to the back door. It's Friday night, and the wind is howling in, and it's 100 degrees below zero already, and the ground is as hard as a rock. And she'd look out there and peer into that darkness and the flapping clotheslines of the lost and gone, sad, weeping tears of yesterday's washcloths and the ancient inverted bowl of the Midwest. She looks out. She says, I feel tonight like the wreck of the... I will award you the brass figliggy with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me what my mother felt like the wreck of, Edward. <laughs> well, I heard a lady say that last night in the subway. She's looking to, and, and she's a real Bronx lady, and she says, Marcia, I'll tell you, I don't know how I'm going to stand. My feet are just killing me. I tell you, I feel like the wreck of the... 
and she laid it right out there. And I said, by George, it's still there. I'm going to drink money water. Going to sleep in the kitchen. Going to sleep with my feet in the hall. Going to drink muddy water. Because, baby, I lost you. I'm sleeping in a lonesome bed tonight. Uh, do you know that uh, last week uh, Governor Rockefeller proclaimed last Monday as Poetry Day, Ed? And uh, this week is school lunch week. <laughs> oh, boy. Speaking of insanity, this is WOR AM and FM New York. And as long as we're on the subject of his... Oh, here, we have, we have, before we go any further, we have a note from the newsroom. Ted. Here's a bulletin, Justin, Gene, from the WOR newsroom. On that late report we had on the 11 o'clock news concerning the crime killing, two young men under arrest for disorderly conduct tried to shoot and fight their way free on the Upper West Side tonight but they were killed by a burst of police gunfire. The dead men were tentatively identified as Victor Rodriguez and Thomas Salerno. They were apparently in their early 20s. The incident occurred on 96th Street in an underpass below the West Side Highway. That's the latest. Stay tuned here to WOR for further details. Now back once again to Gene Shepard. Boy, and life goes on on Friday night. Well, let's see. Before uh, Eddie, you've got the thing in there? Come on, let's go with the Buick spot and we'll continue. There we go. Yeah, hit it. Oh, boy. Oh, wouldn't you really rather have a, a Buick? Buick? A Buick? A Buick? A Buick? A Buick? A Buick? A Buick? Oh, wouldn't you really rather have a Buick? Than any other car this year. Rick at the tank. Buick special. Buick LeSable. All together, gang, sing it out now. Electra 225. Buick Skylark. Buick Wildcat. Buick Riviera means adventure when you drive slow. Wouldn't you really rather have a Buick this year? Wah, 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 wah. So wouldn't you really rather have a Buick? A Buick? A Buick? Or wouldn't you really rather have a Buick? You know, someday I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that, that we will recognize the folk song of our time as the... <laughs> The giant singing commercial. I mean, if you're going to take the uh, the idea of a folk song as being a song that sings of the concerns of the people of the now, you know, uh, sings about their real concerns and sings about the thing that they really want, and is a functional song. Uh, this, uh, you know, that, that this whole folk thing is very interesting to me in a lot of ways. Uh, the the drive. Well, before we get into the folk thing, we better get out with some more of these commercials. Get them out of the way here. Let's see, we have. Uh, the pottery of all nations, and uh, I must uh, must tell you, you better get on the stick. Uh, if you would like to order a catalog of the pottery of all nations, and they have a beautiful colored catalog that is just a little tiny percentage of all the fantastic uh, imported from all over the world pottery that they have available down there at tremendous prices. 
I would like you to whip a card into the mail immediately addressed to Pot, P-O-T-W-O-R, New York, New York, and they'll send you a catalog, and there's, you don't have to include postage or any of that jazz. Now, the pottery of all nations has been a long time a kind of uh, landmark down in the village. They're at Sheridan Square. They have pottery. They have uh, French uh, cookware. They have uh, Danish dinnerware. They have silverware. They have all kinds of things from all over the world. And if you spend about ten minutes down there, you'll know that this is about the most unusual place you've ever been in as far as pottery is concerned. They have one up at 64th and Lex, one over on Paramus and Route 4. And the address again, if you'd like to send for the catalog, do it quick before Christmas. P-O-T, pot, W-O-R, New York. Okay? Let's see. We got the football promo. Uh, who are they playing tomorrow? All right, let's see. Uh, tomorrow, football, football, football. Gee, I don't have the football. Oh, here it is, here it is. Uh, tomorrow, the... Oh, they're playing Pitt tomorrow. Army. They're going to have trouble with that one. Pretty good football team. Army is playing Pitt tomorrow on WOR at 115. And let's see, we have here the Children's Fund, the Christmas Fund. Your contribution, Box 710 Times Square Station. This is an old, long WOR charity. Now, uh, getting back to uh, the problem of Friday night, and uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the thing about that expression brought to mind something which, uh, I, I suppose in the way, has, has some kind of a very deep subterranean, and I use the word advisedly here, subterranean meeting in, in every one of us, the, the wreck of the... Do you, do you ever hear of an expression like that? I feel like the wreck of the blank... What is the what is the uh, thing that's referred? Do you know the word, Ed? Do you know anything about that wreck? Do you know why they picked that one to be the wreck of the? <laughs> it's very interesting. This this what? I've got them, huh? I don't know what you're saying. You know, you, you never know that I can't hear that they do that every time. <laughs> Some people here twenty years and they don't know that yet. But but Ed, uh, that's. Uh, that is connected with the, uh, the, the fear that we all have of under the ocean. I think one of the reasons why people are, are being drawn into, continually being sucked into the, into the skin diving thing, is because of the fear of, of, the, of the undersea world, you know, being under there. There's something about being under the water that just scares the daylights out of people. If you've, ever, if you've ever hung your head over the side of a rowboat in a quiet lake and just look way down into the deeps there, and you see the weeds moving back and forth, and once in a while a turtle swims back. Boy, I'll tell you, that's a real scary scene. Well, there is also something that is even more, in a way, scary than being underwater. Have you ever been in a cave? Boy, the, the fear of being in a cave or being under the ground, somehow the, 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 the subterranean world is far more scary even than the ocean because, you know, the light comes into the ocean. You can see it. You know, there's a fish in there. It, it's scary enough. But the idea of under the, under the earth really somehow, that's extremely scary. And have you noticed that of all the things that we have done, uh, mankind has been around on the earth for uh, a couple of billion years now probably, at least two and a half <laughs> thereabouts, they say now. And yet nobody has really seriously explored under the earth. 
really seriously done it. There have been a few little borings down into it and a few theories and so on kicked around about it. And there are people believe that they think they know what's there and they have an idea of how the, the earth is made, the core of it and all that. And it's pretty well documented, but nobody really explores under the earth. And I think that the desire to explore under the earth is not there. It scares even even a scientist. Somebody goes, well, I'll tell you what we do. We have automatic climbing and, uh, and the diving, and it, uh, it's a digging thing, yeah. We have invented it now, and you can sit in there and operate the controls, and it has a great big windshield, you see. And you can dig now under the earth, and you can dig, say, maybe 5, 10, 50, 25 miles under the earth, and then you can go 28 miles over towards uh, Trenton, if you want to, and just explore what is under there. Well, I would be willing to bet that almost any one of us, Ed, would be far more easily gotten into a spaceship shot off towards Venus. <laughs> I'm sure of that. Than, than, to, than to be sent down towards the core of the Earth in, a, in, in some kind of a digging, insane digging machine that dug like a mole, you know, and, just, and had lights and you could see down there, and you know, it just keeps digging the Earth away and you could see the stuff, the rocks going past. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, that, that is a... There's a funny thing, and, and how I came, uh, just, just occurred to me tonight. I saw a cartoon, and it related to one of the great fears that we all have, and that is the fear of the big hole in the ground. There is a great, have you ever stood next to the Grand Canyon? Just the hole in the ground scares you. You look down there, and there's a hole there. Somehow, a hole in the ground frightens you more than a mountain, which is up in the air. You see, the mountain goes way up. You can look at Mount Everest, and it's 27,000 feet high. It's a fantastic mountain, and the snow is flying, and the wind is blowing off, and guys are being hurled to their death. And somehow, looking in the Grand Canyon will scare you five times more than looking at the mountain. And the mountain can be even more deadly for any number of reasons. But one of the scariest scenes that I've ever witnessed or, or looked upon myself is to look in a great big hole in the ground and just look down in it. Well, I, I saw a, a tremendous excavation one time that was being done for a dam in some place in Tennessee. They had dug out half of the county, you know, and it, was, it must have been a mile deep. And people would come and stand and look down in there, and they would stand from about 50 feet away. And they would just look at it as if it was some enormous, engulfing, fantastic, devilish monster laying there. just a hole in the ground. You know, they'd, they'd, oh, they'd stand there. Oh, boy. Wow. And the guys would hold out of the kids, you know, everybody's holding this thing back. As if the hole is going to jump out and grab him. You know, such a hole is alive. Well, one time, for some... For some insane reason, I, people have a, a secret knowledge of these things, you know, even when they're kids, and maybe even more so when they're kids, because kids will, you know, kids will automatically shy away from things. They'll see a hole in the ground, or they'll go down into the cave, and it'll scare them right out of their socks, and they'll let everyone know, you know, they'll start yelling about the, the hole, they're scared of it, whereas the man says, oh, that's silly, <laughs> that's uh, silly, now, come on, it's just a big hole, <laughs> And he's, and he's walking along, and there, there's, there's, and, and and the fear of water underground, the underground river, is is definitely there. You know, the idea of the underground river, and and the the the, the idea of tunnels under there, and things, this great flowing rivers of dark water, and 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 heavy unseen rocks, and and strange creatures that are eyeless swimming down there. Whoo! Oh boy, I mean, do you, of course, for, for a long time there has been 
a kind of superstition, and even some religions have grown up about this, that there are beings under the earth. The whole civilization lives under there, you see. And, and uh, these civilizations have, have... It's like the reverse of man, that man on the top of the, of the earth is this good, beautiful creature. The sun shines on him. And uh, if, if, if you can imagine the other side of man, the dark, skulking, rotten, clawed side, you know, the, the evil side. Well, that side lives under the earth, you see. And once in a while, one of those under the earth reaches up and grabs one of the good guys and pulls them down. Oh, yeah, you know. They claim that there are even elevators here in New York City. If you go to the right elevator, it takes you right down there. Just just buzz the down button three times, and you're one of the hamadryads or whatever it is. Down you go, you know. <laughs> it's right there back of the chock full of nuts. But uh, this fear is a very evident fear. And one time, there were there were about nine kids uh, among my, you know, me, Flick, and Schwartz, and a whole bunch of kids uh, were out in the backyard, out backyard. We were way out in the vacant lot, which is about about seventy five hundred yards from any, anybody's house. Just a little clump of trees out there. It's a vacant lot, you know, a real vacant lot. It's got old footballs and tires and stuff out there. And we're out in the vacant lot, and we are making a cave. We are digging a hole, which we were about to cover over with stuff like cardboard and, and tin and all that stuff to make a cave. Well, we are digging. We are digging all day Saturday. And we are digging now. It is about 8 o'clock at night. We've had supper. We're, we're still out there digging. See, we're digging, digging, digging. Well, one of the nuts got an idea that what we ought to do is just keep digging a big hole and just dig. Well, we dug all night. There were about nine kids, and let me tell you, nine kids, when the frenzy is on them, nine kids with the frenzy on them can dig an awful lot of dirt, I can tell you this. Well, we dug this great big hole, and the next day, we're out there digging again. <laughs> Just digging a big hole, a fantastic hole. And now it's about nine feet above our heads, and we're climbing up on each other, pulling each other out, and there's water in the bottom of this thing, and we are uncovering grubs and stuff, and all kinds of junk, and roots, and rocks, and grubs, and old tin cans, and ancient pieces of artifacts, and arrowheads, by the way. And so we are digging this hole bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, by the middle of the week, the idea had gotten out, and we kids just let, leave it go, you know, we walked away, the, the rumors got out about that hole, and they began to drift back to, to us people began to think that something had been out there. Some, there always a rumor about a big hole. A meteorite hit it. That was one of the first things. Uh, a meteor or the ground caved in. There was an underground river and it caved in. Don't go near it because it's got quicksand on the bottom. There's water in the bottom. See? Don't go near it. It's got quicksand on the bottom. And, and we began, of course, the kids, what was so funny was that we began to believe it. And, of course, the kids immediately began to pass the word around. Look out, there's quicksand there, and there's things under there, and there's the, the river goes past under there. And for about, I'd say, three months, everybody, all the kids in the neighborhood were afraid to go near this hole. And it was a hole which we had created. But nevertheless, it remained a hole. Well, my experience with big holes uh, goes considerably more than you would have, say, if you lived here in New York, because I'm sure that there is very little... Uh, big hole business where they just leave a hole there. Just leave it there. Just leave a hole. Now, now I remember one time in this town in, in uh, Hammond, Indiana, for some reason or other, somebody had decided to build a building, Ed. The building was being built, and it was one of these big block square buildings. You know, it was a big building, you know, like a bank or something. And, and it was in the Depression, 
And along about the time they had gotten the gigantic hole in the ground made, it was a great big hole in the ground, it fizzled out. It just fizzled out. You know, everything, the money went out or whatever it is, it just fizzled out. And, and that hole in the ground remained in the middle of the town, more or less over towards the, like would be over the, the east side here in New York. It remained there for as long as I could remember. But as it remained there, it began to grow its own nature. Reeds grew in the bottom of it, and cattails grew, and the water that had been in there from the original digging became a swamp. It literally was like a swamp, and frogs were down there. Not only frogs lived there, then turtles were down there. And after that, there were crayfish and stuff like that. And, and there, were, there were all kinds of... It, it became a, a natural phenomenon and also became then the subject of about 97 million different uh, theories and stories. Stay away. Uh, everyone had forgotten originally that it was a hole dug in the ground. It was just a hole in the ground, that's all. And it became like the Grand Canyon. Don't go near it. It's got quicksand in it. Well, one day, I am down, kids are always, you know, they run out, so I'm down, down on the edge of the water, and I found an axe, a hand axe, just an axe, you know, just a hand axe, and I was, I was amazed, you know, finding a great find like that, a hand axe down there, hidden in the reeds, half buried in the water, in the mud, and I took the hand axe, and I, and I, you know, I took it home, I found this great thing, you see, so I take it home, and I've got this thing, and I'm, I'm polishing it, and I'm sharpening it, I've got a file out, and I'm on the back porch sharpening it, and my old man came home, and he took one look, he said, where'd you get the axe? I said, well, you know, I found it. You found it, right away he's happy, he said, you found it, gee, wow, you mean you just found it, we are junking or something? I said, no, I found it in the big hole. And this big cloud came over his face. Where? I said, the big hole. And immediately I can see him. Giant murder axe discovered in swamp. Kid held. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Oh, boy. He said, what? You found it in the big hole? And he says, where? Where? I said, well, down there on the other side, over by Kennedy Avenue, the big hole on the other side. And I didn't know what I'd done now. I'm scared of death. He says, come here, give me that thing. He said, oh, boy. And he rushed it, and he put it in the, in the garage and hid it. And about, about 10 o'clock that night, the old man takes the axe out there and throws it back in the big hole. As far as I know, the axe is still in the big hole. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the thing is, it's, it's the fear of the hole. Now, now uh, that, that thing that we're walking around, you know, we know very little about it. You walk around here on, in New York, of course, it's easy to forget in New York that there's an earth under there. You just figure it's 68th Street that's under you. You know, there's more to it than that. And, and it isn't just, you know, it isn't just 6th Avenue that's there. It wasn't there in the, in the beginning when the glaciers came. The glaciers didn't march along and leave 57th Street there. Uh, there's that thing under there, you see. And it is very hard in New York City to remember that. But now guys out in, say, Indiana, are never, they are never, ever allowed to forget that there is an earth, a genuine earth under their feet. Because the first thing that happens in the spring is that everything for miles around in Indiana is covered with earthworms. You walk down the street, you squish a lot, and the earthworms are all over. They have come up, you see. They're, they're coming out of the earth. They don't come out of 6th Avenue. It's very hard to find them coming out of there. But they do come out of the earth there. And then, then a couple of weeks later, you're walking along, and suddenly the earth is covered with 87 million grub beetles. These are these big beetles that come out. They come out of the earth. You walk, 
squish, 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 and then there are the ants, and then there are the things. So you are never left without that feeling that the earth is there. I am, I'm beginning to believe that the, the writers in America, the guys who are going to write about the way it is to be alive in the 20th century, are not going to come out of New York. They can't. Because the people in New York uh, do not understand. They have not, they have not felt this thing shaking under them. They don't see that sky whistling over their eyes, and, and they, don't, they don't feel the thunder when the jet goes past. You know, they go around us here. Well, one other thing that, that is connected with, the, with the, deep, uh, the deep hole theory, we also have an innate fear of ruins. Now, I don't know what it is about a ruin that, that, that scares you. I, I, there is a funny thing inside of you that makes you worry when you see things that are left over from other people, some other civilization or something, I don't know what it is. I, uh, and, and especially when you get into real ruins. I remember walking through Pompeii, the ruins of Pompeii, and here's this town. You know, you know, everyone knows about the ruins of Pompeii. But I don't think, I, it, I have never read any description of Pompeii that tells you about that strange, oppressive scariness that is that hangs over it the sun is shining down and all over there there are guys saying you you buy a filthy postcard now. oh uh, you want the postcard you want the sun the glasses huh and, and they're running around and they're they're grabbing you and they're trying to sell you souvenir cameos of uh, obscene objects carved out a cameo by my elderly grandmother and one thing and, oh you can buy some great stuff in the shadow of uh, of pompeii and yet, the instant you get down into the, the streets and you're walking around in Pompeii, or you stand and you look over in Rome, which is not far away, and you look down at that great hole, that, that fantastic hole where, the, where, where it's all laying out there, the temples and all of it is there, and you can see standing off over to your right, just outlined against the sky, what's left of the Colosseum, at first, it's fantastic. You're really impressed. I mean, it just, it just, it, there's nothing like it. It just completely throws you, completely, uh, especially at certain times of the day. But then as you look more and you walk around, there is a kind of oppressive, strange, indefinable fear that sneaks in. I cannot describe it any other way than that. It's a strange thing. Well, in our town, there was this... There, there was a brand new theater put up. It's one of the great events of my of my humble youth when when kids begin to learn about the reality of things and and uh, I don't know what it is. I guess it's real education as opposed to the stuff you read in books. I will describe to you an example of that kind of fear and how kids cannot quite understand it and yet they feel it more than the adults. There was a brand new theater built in our town. It was like oh, it was a big thing. It was like. It was like a Rockefeller Center, you know, that kind of thing. It was when they, were, when they were building really jazzy theaters with gigantic moats and swan's head, you know, that kind of thing, with the, with the great uh, gilt cupie dolls, and they had purple ceramic fountains that would squirt perfumed water, That's, and, and you could throw your gum wrappers down there amid the, these great, great big goldfish that would swim around in the lobby, and they had, they, oh, yeah, they had, they had, they had a brass bronze and, and imitation German silver box office there that was seven stories high. It was like a giant kiosk 
with lights playing on the top of that kind of thing. It was a, just a fantastic thing. It had giant organ built all up in the back there with 7,000 pipes all painted gold, and the organ would come out with, with neon signs and everything going, oh, it was just a wild, like a 5,000-seat theater. And everybody went to the opening of it. They had, they had some big picture there, and it was a big thing. Everyone went down there. And it was this great movie house that everyone wanted to go to, and they all crowded down there. It was it opened right in the middle of the depression. It was just a, the biggest thing that happened uh, in years there. Well, we all went to the to the uh, the first week, the opening week of this thing was Madhouse. Everybody had saved their their whatever it cost, a dollar ten or eighty nine cents or whatever it was to get in. It was a it was you know it was like going to the World Series. So everyone went down there. They gave everybody a free dish. It's a souvenir free dish. The State Theater opening. And by the way, my mother still has the souvenir of the State Theater opening. It's a dish. It's a little, a little uh, funny, phony, uh, you know, this, this crummy-looking metal that they make these little uh, miniature uh, Empire State buildings out of. That, that's, what is that stuff? Well, she's got a little dish. It says opening souvenir dish, uh, ashtray or something, of the, of the State Theater. So we went down there, and it was a big event. It was like Wednesday we went down there. Well, everybody was talking about it. It was pictures in the paper. They had, they had lights playing up in the sky, purple and green and blue lights. Some big movie star came. I do not recall the movie star, except I do know this about the movie star. This movie star was a famous lady movie star. And the only thing I remember about this movie star, she was famous for having a famous dollhouse. Don't ask me why this was. Because her dollhouse was on display in the, uh, in the lobby of this theater. She was famous. And so she came there and dedicated the thing. And boy, it was, it was wild. You know, it was like Marilyn Monroe is there. So everyone is cheering and, and yelling and pictures in the paper and reading about it. Well, the week goes by in delirium. That my mother would sing over her sink. Every, you know, she'd sing because they were going to change the feature on Friday and everyone was going to go there Saturday again. We're all going to go back, you see, to Wonderland again. Back to Oz. Away from Cleveland Street, back to Oz. Back to the swans and the moats and all that jazz. Well, she's working her way over the sink and she's got the Brillo pad going and, the, and Bing Crosby is singing on the radio and everybody's cheering. We're going to go, go to the theater on Saturday night. We were going at night and it was going to be a big thing. There was going to be Tarzan there. It was going to be a Tarzan movie or something. It was going to be a big thing. So everyone's looking forward to it. Well, on a Friday night, that's why ever since I've had a deep foreboding about Friday nights. The Friday night concluded. It was about 1 o'clock in the morning, maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. The entire city is asleep, except the guys that are fist fighting, yelling, other guys doing other stuff, guys walking around drunk. Bruner was down in the basement making some more, and it was you know there were guys that were up, but they were nefarious people. All the good goers to the the Rudolph Valentino movies and stuff were asleep. Okay, you got it. So <laughs> everyone's asleep. See, the square world is all asleep. So so we're we're burrowed in there, and it's about two o'clock in the morning, and it's a cold, cold November night, and it's quiet, very quiet. The streetcars have sort of petered out. And I am dead to the world. I've been dead to the world since about nine. I'm, at that time, I'm about six or something, five, some little kid age, you know. And we're all asleep. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, without any warning, it must be the way it is when war comes, when nobody is notified of it and it just happens. We are all asleep and suddenly it goes... There is a 
gigantic oomph. Just the house went, and you could hear cups and stuff. And I, you know, I pull, and my old man, what, what's the matter? The furnace? Oh, he runs down right away. The furnace? He's rushing around. The furnace? And and my mother is jumping up, and the flashlights are going, and all around the the whole neighborhood, you could see lights coming on. People, hey, ho, 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 and then we saw it over in the horizon there, towards the center of town. There is this tremendous, gigantic, great, oh, it looked like an enormous iceberg of flame just sticking up in the air, and above it is the first mushroom cloud I ever heard of. You know, people like to think mushroom clouds come from atomic explosions. They do not. They are roughly the same as when you blow smoke rings with your cigarette. That's a mushroom cloud, really. It's the same thing that causes it, just a big, heavy explosion directly upward at a, at, at a certain at a certain pressure will produce a mushroom cloud. Boop! And there it is. It's hanging there in the smoke. Well, there is this thing hanging over there. It just it hung there in the air, you know. Woo! And everybody's, ho, ho! And right away, people thought the, the whole steel mill blew up. You know, steel mill, the uh, asshole blew up. Uh, Sinclair oil blew up. And they're running around. The old man is out there, and he's getting the Graham Page out. You know, he's going to go, everybody. And you can see guys running around with their with their underwear. Other, and it's winter, you know. They, uh, we, had a, we had a town that was an insane fire going to town, you know. Everybody was rushed. Everybody's running around. My mother's got her orange bathrobe on, and the kids got their sheepskin on, and we're back out in the car, and we're going. Well, I'll tell you, every, of course, the rumors immediately, it's, 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 it's the mill. Well, the mill is in back of us. Nobody thought, you know, well, the mill is the other way, you know? It's the mill. Then everyone says, no, it must be Esso. No, it can't be. It, what, what, what is it? Well, it finally came to light. The cars began to move towards this thing as a, like a gigantic ant colony going. And right in the middle of town, the State Theater had blown sky high. It had blown up from hell to kingdom come. And it was really gone. Just boom! That kind of explosion, you know? There just ain't no little things. There's no, there's no, it's not one of those little gas explosions. It really went boom! That kind. And for, for hours, little pieces of Cupid doll was floating down, you know? Once in a while, there'd be a, a swan feather would come floating down, and a goldfish would land over in Cook County, 45 miles away. It was that kind of thing. You see, pieces of, of, of film, you know, starring Maureen O'Hara, were coming, you know, Johnny Weissmuller films were all over, Ted Stick, all of it, you know, Buck, Buck Jones film was all over Lake County for miles. Well, it was a fantastic explosion. And the people are standing there, they're stunned, you know, it's, it's like Oz has blown up. I mean, Oz, this is the thing that people, it's gone, look at it. And, and guys are running around, you know, and some guys are spitting in the fire, trying to put it out, other guys are throwing little cups of water, look at it. And, and the firemen are just completely gassed, there's nothing, there's a big hole in the ground. And nobody could figure out why it happened. Well, that thing burnt all night, and then finally the next day, there it was, right in the middle of town. It was like the, well, I'll, I'll tell you, it was like an enormous decayed tooth. It was like a tooth that had a, a decay in it that you couldn't believe, and all the other teeth were great. It was just an incredible thing. And people stood around and looked. For miles they came to look at what was left. And you could see that great big twisted box office and all those purple and yellow tiles all over the place. The gothic furniture was all busted up, you know, the whole thing. And there was a great big, uh, tremendous, I'll never forget, a great big 
tear just hanging down from a beam a velvet red velvet curtain just hanging down with with big golden fringe on the bottom of it just a big hole in the ground the whole dream world hollywood everything blew right up boom gone and nobody knew and you know there was a very interesting reaction to that about three days after that, everybody completely ignored it. They never cleaned up the mess. There was a ruined theater in the middle of town for as long as I could remember after that. And, and once in a while, and nobody went near it. No vandals even went into it. And you could see those great big twisted organ pipes laying over sideways. And that enormous tattered rag of, of, of red velvet slowly began to dissolve in the wind. And over here to the left, you could see gigantic gilt cupie dolls hanging from, from old beams. It was all twisted and torn, and nobody even went near it. And gradually, a fence grew up around that. It just was raised around it, you know. But you could see still sticking up the, the mosques and the minarets and the spires of, of Hollywood land just laying over sideways, and it's still there. Tomorrow afternoon, direct from Pittsburgh, Stan Lomax and Les Smith bring you all of the exciting play-by-play -play of Army football. Now be on the scene for every play as the cadets continue their fight for national honors against Pittsburgh. That's tomorrow afternoon at Pittsburgh. It's Army versus Pittsburgh. The game time is 1.15, right here on WOR Radio. And that is WORAM and WORFM in New York. And right now on WOR Radio, stand by for a delightful morning of interesting activity and fascinating guests. You'll be hearing them with Long John Nebel. It begins now at precisely midnight. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.